Welcome to Pat Sherlock's podcast series, interviews with top mortgage sales leaders. Learn practical tips for improving sales management results. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Pat Sherlock, and welcome to the podcast. Today's topic is establishing an open dialogue. I have a terrific expert today who's going to share their thoughts, Catherine Gardner. Catherine is EVP, Chief of Production at ARC Home Loans. Formerly, she was with Pacific Union Financial and Everbank. Hi, Catherine. Hello. Thanks for having me. Well, this is really such a crucial topic. And I first want to start off about, why don't you share for everyone on our podcast about how you got into managing. Talk about that for a few minutes. Okay. Well, I got into managing long before I should have been. I started working with a small mortgage broker in just outside of Atlanta, Georgia, where I lived for 13 years. And they actually hired me to help them audit some HUD ones. I had no idea what that was. (laughs) And they put me in a room with a year's worth of of HUD ones. And I found a lot of money. Actually, I found a lot of money that was still sitting in files in attorney's offices in Georgia that had never been dispersed to them. And so that kind of was my springboard into moving up the ranks there and ultimately becoming the vice president and the president of that company. Um, I was very young. I was in my early 20s. I had no proper management training, but I was blessed that the owners every evening sat with me at the end of the day for some time up to two hours and really went through the day, how I talked to people and the issues that I was having and deeply mentored me in a, in a way that I've really never had that level and intensity of mentoring that I did during that time. So now you've managed for a long time. Talk about what's the best advice you ever heard on the topic and, and also uh, were there books that you thought were really important that really gave you a direction? If I can start with a book, there's a book called Playing Big by Tara Moore, um, and her last name spells M-O-H-R. That book really, uh, in recent years, helped me find uh, much more of my, I would say, my true voice. The more I've gotten in touch with that, speaking from just a place of openness and kind of inner confidence, uh, as opposed to fear or reacting. I, I think that really leads to open and communication that we're all looking for right now. So that book has been instrumental to me really in the last few years. And I have found myself, especially during the strange time that we're in, referring back to segments of that book, especially around just when you're in generally a place of nervousness or, or fear, not in your best mindset and how that translates in your communication and interactions with others. You know, I think the best advice I ever had on the topic was from my dad as a little girl, really just saying, um, you know, you're going to have to kill it with kindness because you're really not good at at the other approach. (laughs) And um, I think I I realized early on that I wasn't going to be good at being a big time self promoter or wowing people with my sense of humor. I'm not really that interesting, but I am, uh, I'm open. And I've always just been a person that's willing to let people in 
And so um, when I get lost a lot of times, it's trying to be bigger in my bridges than I really am. Wow, that's that's an important advice for sure. So when you actually look at all these years of managing and you think about it, like what's really the secret sauce that people maybe don't recognize? Yeah, and again, for me, my secret sauce has been really being real. And, you know, I think that comes across in a variety of ways. One of the challenges right now is people can't see body language. But if you could see me right now, I'm I'm walking, my hands are in the air. I'm actually facing your photograph. And I'm and and I think there's some part of me, like there's some part of my brain right now that's a little bit starved for your body language, your reaction to sure. me that we don't get these days. But so I, I try to get my mind and my body right when I'm speaking to people, even if we're not together. Uh, you know, I make old school. I make sure my legs aren't crossed, my arms aren't crossed, my shoulders are rolled back, big breath in, and, and just try to be open physically because that gets my mind in the right place and my tone in the right place to the people, people I'm speaking to. And if I really want to get open conversation going, I share. I share, I open the door with, hey, this is what's going on in my mind. And I often just say it that way. This is what's going on in my mind. This is what I'm working on or struggling with, or this is what I'm very excited about. And and then I just open the door with questions. How would that look for you? How does that, what do you think? What am I missing? Um, am I off base on this? The topic for today, which is establishing an open dialogue, I'm sure you've worked at, at some corporations and some companies where that wasn't encouraged and it's difficult to have that type of environment. So I think for our listeners, if we could understand when that's happened to you, how have you gone about encouraging an open dialogue in a group that may not even encourage that corporately? So if you could talk about that, that'd be great. I think so many of us have faced that. I really believe that in an organization, if you have an organization where there's not open dialogue, and to be more specific, where people can't ask questions, answers can't be given honestly, ultimately that organization is going to fail at some level because you are not, you don't have people understanding the why. You don't have people fully motivated and engaged if they can't ask questions and you can't answer honestly. Now, we all have confidentiality things. We understand that's a different topic. I call it out uh, in organizations. I say we have to be an organization where people can ask questions. We can't get frustrated that someone who hasn't been involved in everything we just discussed wants to ask three or four more questions. We should be thrilled. And it's important that we emphasize that as leaders over and over, that we need to build organizations where people can ask questions of us and and get get the honest truth. And if we're confident about what we're doing in our direction, we want people working with us who are aligned with that. And even if they're not a thousand percent supportive of it, that they understand it and they can speak to it. Well, that raises the question about how do you handle, and I know you've been in meetings where you do open it up for questions and then there isn't any. (laughs) And so how do you handle that? (laughs) Crickets. Usually I say crickets. (laughs) Crickets. When there are no questions, a lot of times I say, 
why no questions? And I, I don't like the, the call people out, so I generally ask a few more questions. Is this hitting you side? Is this hitting you all sideways and you're so shocked you don't want to ask questions? Does this feel like duh to you? Of course we understand this. <laughs> and uh, we, we don't really have or need any commentary. But I definitely try to dig to see if there's something negative or off-putting when there's when there's silence. You know, sometimes there's just flat out multitasking that's going on that you have to address, but usually I find that silence, it's it's one of two things. Either you've just really stated the obvious or there is a underlying concern or or fear or or deep frustration that puts people into that silence mode. And you have to dig that out. No, that's a great point. How do you handle, and I'm sure you've had to deliver, you know, maybe messages where essentially maybe it's consolidations, maybe it's laying people off, or in other words, uh, those types of topics, which obviously never are easy. How do you maintain an open dialogue with those types of topics? Still, for me, the toughest thing that, that we do, anytime you're you're impacting people's lives and their financial well-being. Most of us in this business have gone through it on both sides. Anytime that that happens, you need to do it with, you know, a deep respect, whether you feel that that was a needed termination or, you know, an unfortunate reduction in force. So I start there, making sure that I allow myself to be in that feeling moment when it's when it's happening and and being affected by it and and being impacted make sure i bring a lot of respect to that conversation for those that were impacted but at the same time um want to deliver that those decisions whether agreed to or not are made in the best interest of the people that are still there that ultimately those difficult decisions are made for the benefit of the good for in putting the organization first that as a leader that's what you're called to do if you can't do it that's that's one reason not to take that next leadership role because it's a it's a critical skill not one you want to have to have and not one you want to have to hone very often but you really have to make sure that the that the people who are still there and moving forward, one, that as much as possible, you can eliminate the fear of any ongoing change um, because that's a natural ripple effect. And then two, that they understand that that changes, although painful, are made really in the best interest of of that group. And hopefully they can move forward from that in a little bit of a positive light. Sure. So how do you handle, and of course, I'm sure you've had this happen in your own career, where you're going into an organization, and you might be certainly one that has had open dialogue in your past organizations, but now you're getting into an organization where the group that you're taking over, you know, may not be trusting and may not have ever even witnessed an open dialogue environment. Um, Talk about that. Don't you think it's our nature to want to, we want to rush that. Uh, we want to rush the trust. <laughs> I always say, you know, I'm an acquired taste. People, it takes, I think, sometimes a while for people to, to get me. So I just, I recognize it's going to take time. And I think, it, you know, it, it's helpful to us all to just recognize building that trust is going to take time. But week after week of, of a team, and a particular new team, hearing you, 
seeing that you're open, seeing your actions, that follow-up is so key. If you open the door into a conversation, you really have to be planning ahead that with open conversation, there's usually follow-up. And mm -hmm. so make sure you've pre-planned <laughs> some time for that follow-up uh, because you will nothing will undermine that open door then, oh my gosh, that was so great. I can't believe it. I just had the best conversation with her. And then whatever that individual took away that, that was, you know, on your to-do list, you don't do it, boy, that it was just all talk. It's not authentic. It's not real. Even if your intention was to do it and you don't, you set yourself back. So you can't rush it, but you also have to dedicate the time to do the follow-up. Wow, that is really a terrific point. And so often you see that where, you know, you've had a great conversation, but then nothing ever happens of it. And then as a result, the trust level goes down, which raises to the next question, where uh, when you're going into a new organization as a leader, and you're looking at, you know, how to establish that trust, it centers on listening to what they have to say, because in my experience, they always usually have to say a lot. And a lot of times, new leaders go in and they want to rush it and establish other great ideas when the trust part hasn't been really established at all. So talk about that, because I know I'm sure you've run across that yourself. That is so true. You know, when you come in, you get a wave thing, you get a wave of, of great ideas. You also often get a wave of the dissatisfaction. Hey, Catherine, these are the things that I was talking to, you know, the previous person in your spot for a year, and they're still going on. And I think it's it's tough as a leader because you, you do kind of want to come in and have a few hero moments. <laughs> and again, right. I think that's part of that's part of wanting to rush it. You really have to you really have to say, is this motivated by my ego? Is this motivated by my need for, for praise and recognition? Or is this something I really need to step back and understand and, and maybe take a pause on, even though this person or these individuals may continue to be frustrated for a bit longer? Sorry if I'm, if I'm reiterating a little bit, but I really think giving yourself a check on, okay, what's motivating me? to listen or act. And I think so many times, if we really challenge on ourselves on that, we'll listen more. Action is often driven by that desire for that, you know, that little bit of glory or, you know, a quick, a quick win to show your value, especially in a new organization. And I would just say, don't rush it. Be confident. You're there for a reason. You were chosen for a reason. You know what your value is and, and know that Hopefully, you're, you, you came for the long haul, you want to be there for the long haul, and it's the long-term results that really make the difference. Well, that's, again, I can't reiterate enough how you're so right. And I know myself, when it happened in my own career, where you've brought in to turn something around, which is typically what the situation is, and you're coming in with lots of ideas, and certainly that's where you have been selected for that. And then, then you have the people that have already been there, and many of them, especially if you've been at a bank or maybe a credit union, or they could have been there for a very long time. So, you know, reality of it is you're 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 trying to rush it when it's really something that 
that needs to be taken in really a, a, a pattern of time that establishes the, the trust underneath it, which does raise this issue of starting an open dialogue when you are going in new to whether it's a turnaround or something else. How are you having the first meetings to establish that you want to hear from them and have an open dialogue. What what does a typical meeting look like for you? Even though obviously we're in Zoom world now, but in a normal time period. <laughs> I think it's a, it is a great topic though in the Zoom world too. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think now though, you know, you look back with that perspective and you think, oh, that wasn't that hard when I could do it face to face. But it seems like it before now we can't do it face to face. I definitely, I am very much still, I love, I love face-to-face. I love being able to see people. I take a lot from body language. It's very important to me. Oftentimes, you know, you you do need to go in and do a, a group introduction. When there's an important message or a big change, taking the time to to do those one-on-ones or maybe smaller groups, but but I really I, I go to the one on one again, even though it takes it takes more time. But with key individuals, um, people that especially as you mentioned, Pat, that have been in an organization for a long time, you know, who knows in their career there, you may be the third or fourth or fifth person that they've seen come and go. And I think it's really important to to show them the respect of a one on one conversation to really hear um, that institutional knowledge, that, that long institutional knowledge that they have is so valuable to you. And to just, again, to start that, even though you may be you know, two or three levels apart, so to speak, that you're recognizing their longevity in that organization. So I didn't do a great job of answering your question, though. I no, like to did. do them face-to-face. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 you did. And actually, I mean, we could go on for hours about this topic. It's such an important topic. But for our listeners today, what uh, two or three takeaways that you think that's important for them to know? Key things. One, especially in this time when you can't see each other, make sure your body is in the open position before you start speaking. It will change you. It will change your tone. It will change your mindset. The mind and the body are so connected. So mm-hmm. make sure your body's open. You know, share. You know, what's really the, what's is, is, is as much as you can be, what's really behind the motivation for the conversation. Um, question and listen. And we're, we're all, you know, so many of us listening to this are, are phenomenal salespeople at heart. And we know the rhythm of question, listen, question, listen. Make that same investment in your people that you do in your customer. Really question, really try to understand what the benefit you're bringing is and make sure they see that benefit. And then set that side, time aside to do the follow-up so that the, the action behind the words is consistent and that they really sense that your open conversation was not manipulative but was real and and has followed up with real action. Great words for sure. Thank you, Catherine, for sharing your thoughts today. And for our listeners, look for our next podcast. Thank you so much, Pat.